You're listening to the A Scully Cast, brought to you by www.ascully.com. And here are your hosts, A Scully and Sid Talk. Hello, Sid Talk. Hello. How are you? I'm busy over here. How are the listeners out there today, do you think? What do you think? I'm a mind reader? I'm right? sure they're fine. What about Bob from number 127? What do you think he's doing? What? That's one of our listeners, Bob, from 127. What do you think he's doing? Uh, mm, I don't even want to guess. <laughs> I think he's playing with his penis. Oh, dear. <laughs> All right. What are you talking about? Nothing. Tickle. <laughs> All right, so um, what's the before the after the show discussion about from uh, talking about our listeners? We weren't talking about our listeners. We don't have listeners. We have people who listen to this podcast sometimes. And, uh, I don't know, I was talking about my game I'm playing over here. Oh, yeah. We were talking about movies earlier, movie industry, whatnot. Yeah, well, uh, that's actually an interesting uh, topic. Well, what I was reading an article on Box Office Mojo. Is that mm-hmm. what it's called? BoxOfficeMojo.com. It was talking about how Hollywood perceives... Um, whether a movie is a failure or a success or a break-even kind of movie. And the new... Well, it's, it's not new, but it's newer. The newer thing, <coughs> thinking in Hollywood is that if your movie does not make back what it cost to make it within 14 days, it's considered a flop. Now, even if it goes on to make double what it costs to make... That's still a flop to them because investors are looking for um, a high turn, like a fast turnaround of money. They're not looking to wait six years to get their money back from a movie, you know, because home video sales do go on for a long time now. Like um, home video, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's home videos, you know, Blu-ray, DVD, whatever. That money, you know, the movie we watched today, The Man from Uncle, it cost. Um, $60 million to make and it said they only made 30 back when it was in the cinemas, right? But now it's gone on to uh, worldwide to make $130 million, which is way more than it costs to make but that is still considered a failure. I don't see that at all. It's ridiculous. Like, that's what, it's yeah, green. and that's what I tell you about these bullshit artists who try to say that the PS4 is losing the money when in fact that's not how they see it. They see it in a different way. If I No, this was the Oculus Rift we were talking about. Right. Anything. Any device I'm yeah. talking about that you have always defended their bullshit about, oh, well, we're losing money. That's why it's $500. No, what isn't why? They're full of shit. If I make a piece of art, not an art because that's subjective. If I make this mug right here, right? And every single thing along the way, I pay for the clay. I pay for my time, say $20 an hour, whatever you charge a person in a factory or an artist to make it, let's say $10 an hour. I've paid $50 for the clay. I can make 10 mugs out of that. It took me 10 hours to make them. And then I fired them, which cost me $500. I divide that by 50 or however many mugs I made. That's how much it cost me. Add in my electricity and whatever else cost. Add that in. That's how much it cost me. If I double that when I sell it to you, I'm making money. If I project that I want to sell my mugs for $800 a piece, but they're actually only worth $2.50 a piece, 
and then I sell it to you for $2.50, I'm now a failure because I didn't sell it for $800. Now that's bullshit because I'm still making money. But I'm still doubling the money back that I spent to make it. But my perceived value of it, the money I think you should pay for it or that I should make off of it, is the money they think they should be oh, making. And it, I mean, I understand commerce in the fact that if you spend $100 million on a movie, you at least need to make $100 million, $101 million back. Otherwise, you just throw money away. And let's say double it. Let's say double it. Because any any product that you make or anything that you make, I think that most people wouldn't argue against the idea that I want to... If I'm I'm doing like... If I'm selling straight to you at a craft fair or something, and this thing cost me $2 to make, I probably would charge $4, right? I mean, that's my mind. But most would charge 10. Exactly. Yeah. And if I don't make 10, but I make 4, I consider that a failure. I don't consider that a failure. I'm saying the person who proceeds. It's, it's definitely that way. a skewed view. But it's view. wrong. It's like the movie studio thing is a skewed view, though, because if you're looking at it as though every well, they said they, so they broke down all the movies for the whole year, and there was only five success. Everything else was a failure. Everything else was a failure. Only five movies actually were a success. <laughs> That's wrong. I yeah, mean, because just, the whole industry would fall apart. Yeah, I mean, it would have all <laughs> fell apart already. Every business would I, fall apart. They wouldn't be. If that was the if that was the case, there was only five successful movies last year. This year, there'd only be two movie companies, <laughs> and everybody else would have dropped out. Right? Exactly. So, or they would only make three movies. Yeah, it's total. Compl- it's completely. I wrong. just get so riled up when this business bullshit because I was raised around business people in the cattle business, right? So, that's kind of hardcore, hardline business. Here are ten cattle. The market says they're worth this. I've invested this much, and this is what you're going to pay me, right? Now, I've listened to my grandpa and my dad over the years, my uncle, you know, as a kid, and you, there was bargains to be made and whatnot. But I think I always got the overriding sense from my grandfather that just, now, by God, just because so-and-so over in whatever town selling his for whatever doesn't mean that's what I'm selling mine for. That don't make mine worth any more just because he's charging more money because he's ripping them off. And I'm not ripping them off. I'm still making my money and I'm making a good profit. That's all I need to do. So I don't, that that thing, it's just... The thing in the box office thing that really bugs me though is because that's how it's all mapped out now and that's how it's all thought of. Movies, lots of movies, including a movie like a movie we watched today, which is a good movie. But if they wanted to continue a series or whatever, they can't because somebody it told them a, it was a It failure. sets a precedent yeah. for this, like, oh, expectations weren't met. And well, it sets a precedent for people in the movie studios going, nah, we, we won't bother with that one. But if that was the case... Because we did one last year and it didn't work. But then they're also full of shit on that because if that were the way that they were being planning their movie schedule to make out, there would be 500 clerks a year. Because Clerks cost 25000 and has made multiple millions of dollars over the years. And there are lots of It's one of, of the most highest grossing people, movies of all time, right? Based on what it costs to make. Yeah. So we should be flooded with Clerk after Clerks after Clerks because, hey, that's a moneymaker. Now, what we don't discuss usually are movies that are like that. You've even said there are movies that cost $3,000, $5,000 that Cool Duder, the guy that you watch yeah. on YouTube, has been in. Now those movies are going to make back their money, ten grand and twenty grand, because they're, they're going to sell them to foreign only markets, just, probably. <laughs> sell them on DVD, and there's yeah. a market for that. And so they're they are out there, but as the general public, they don't rise to the top. They so never would. That all is just bullshit. You can make you're making money. Like 
I'm so yeah, that's crazy. what I say. I say to the studios, listen, if you make a movie for a hundred, well, let's say you make a movie for a thousand dollars, a really cheap movie. <laughs> yeah. If you've made a movie for a thousand, you and I can make a thousand dollar movie, and it makes two thousand dollars back. It is not a failure. Because it made some money, like it, like it's it's a silly thing to think. Oh, it's and the fourteen day thing, the artificial. It's like, oh well, there was these movies, one called Avatar, one called that broke records really quick. So if we don't break those, therefore records, everyone has to live up to that yeah, standard. That's what it is now. Ugh. So I've seen people mention Star Wars: The Force Awakens, which is now the fastest grossing movie of all time. That can't be your benchmark, though, can it? No, but I've heard people this week say, oh, no, it's a failure. It's a failure and in financial terms. Why? Well, it hasn't took as much as Avatar. Like, it's slightly behind Avatar's what it eventually made. But that's just flawed thinking. (laughs) I don't get it. This is why I'm not a business person. I don't understand that. If you get out more than what you put into a thing, whatever it is, and this time we're talking about money, then you have made... In essence, a profit. You have received back more than you've put in. Well, perhaps we just don't understand <laughs> commerce. Oh, I understand it perfectly. We're not um, stupid. No. They think we are. And that's why they like to sit in their little offices and be like, well, I've got a $1,000 pair of shoes and a $100,000 car out there. And if I if this movie doesn't make what I need it to make, then I don't get to pay my $3,000 house payment. Therefore, I need to keep everybody thinking that my product or my movie is worth more than it is. True. Because they're full of shit. So it is Saturday, January the 9th. This is after the show number 409. And we are a Blu-ray movie. Well, we're a movie review podcast. We just happen to watch movies on Blu-ray. And the movie we're reviewing this week, because we do one every week, is The Man from Uncle. Which I was not looking forward to, I'll be honest. A 2015 movie released on Blu-ray in November, so you can pick it up now. It's rated PG-13, and it's from our friends at Warner Brothers. So, Sid Talk, give us the synopsis of The Man from Uncle. I'll just repeat. I wasn't looking forward to it, not because it was a Guy Ritchie movie or anything, because I like Guy Ritchie movies, but it just sounded really... I don't know. I'm not interested in the show, and I think that unfortunately tainted Did you, uh, my well, view we'll of it. We'll get into that. Right. Yeah, I haven't... So I just went into it like blank canvas. I don't even know what they're really, what it's really going to be about. But and the, but the synopsis is. I'm just explaining though. So, without knowing what the show is at all, my synopsis would be undercover agents of some kind are up against a bad guy slash woman. In during like the nuclear like Cold the forties, yeah. Well, it the you know right there, right in the middle of it, really. I mean, the wall's still up, and I mean it's the forties, so we're talking about the tail end of World War Two, and the, the Cold War's the sixties. It started all the way back there, right? But this yeah. takes place mostly in the sixties. This was the sixties. Yeah, it was mostly in the sixties because everything was sixties about it, like really? the costume in uh, yeah. It's, it's the Cold War. It felt War. very 40s and 50s to me. No, it's the 60s for sure. Right. Which the show is also set in the 60s. Yeah. Well, it um, was. And this is... This is um, interesting. Well, it's un- undercover agents and a bad guy who wants to be a part of owning the most powerful weapon in the world, basically. Correct. And this is like a, a prequel to the TV show, almost. 
Well, no, it's their origin story. Yeah, if you if it. you saw the TV show and always wondered, hey, how did this? How did these two dudes get together, and why is this happen? This kind of explains it in a way, which I was actually really. I thought that was pretty cool. Didn't affect me at all because I have no nothing um, about the show. I brought, was brought up with this show. It used to be on TV a lot. Uh, there were times when I loved it, and there were times when I was like, "Oh, it's boring." But what you're saying is this is definitively how they began. Not necessarily. This is just what Guy Ritchie made up. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm saying you know, it's, a, it's, a, right. it's somebody's... Um, Imagining. ...of the origin story of these two guys and how they got together. Which not explained in the TV show. Um, the uncle is com- is formed completely and it's the missions. And, you know, Man from Uncle on TV, if you're not familiar with it, it was out around the same time as Mission Impossible, the TV series. It was a direct competitor to it, and it was a very similar type of show. Similar vibe, gadgets, you know. Um, but Man From Uncle <coughs> excuse me, always had a more serious vibe to it than Mission Impossible on television. Um, so this movie, um, it takes... <laughs> This is one thing, if I had one thing... I, I really like this movie, by the way. Guy Ritchie, um, very stylistic movie, very cool movie to what to look at, and a very... I really liked the twists and turns. I didn't see a lot of it coming, and uh, I thought it was actually a really cool plot. You know, it was... It's not too complicated, and you don't go, holy crap, I don't understand what's going on anymore. It's quite to the point and easy to follow, and, you know... Like I'm, I've said to you before, sometimes espionage type of things, they get like caught up in all their own stuff. And then by about like two thirds into the movie, you're not sure who's what. Like you're not sure what, why, what we're doing. Uh, you've had that situation. Yep. I get confused a lot with those. But this is not confusing. It's a very straightforward plot. But that doesn't mean it's boring or dumb. It's actually pretty cool and funny. Now, if I had one thing wrong with this movie, and I don't know if you agree, is, uh, and I really like it, and I understand Guy Ritchie's thing, and he did it with Sherlock Holmes as well. Um, and some people hate his version of Sherlock Holmes because of it, because of what it is. It's not what people think of Sherlock Holmes. And I think what they did, what he did here, and I, if I have a problem, it's it's quite uneven what tone it's trying to go for. Sometimes it's trying to be funny and, and an action movie. Sometimes it's trying to be a serious espionage movie with, like, real-world things and interesting events. Sometimes it's trying to be cheeky. Sometimes it's... And sometimes the cheekiness and the seriousness are in the same scene and it takes away from one or the other, if you know what I mean. Like, this is supposed to be a powerful scene. There's a bit of a corny joke that kind of takes away from it. Or, this is supposed to be a funny scene, and here's a bunch of serious stuff happening over here that kind of... What's an example? The truck? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, that it's a mixture. It's almost an international vibe. Like because it really... I'm telling you, I've watched enough of that Italian comedy slash drama show. Doctor, I know that sounds weird, but the father, whatever his name was, with the Italian cops. Yeah. That there is always a horrible, serious crime and a very dramatic thing going on. And yet on top of that, there's this sort of like slapstick comedy All with light. the cops. Very light. And there's always that, always. And sometimes because you're not, it's not a sensibility I'm used to. I like that show a lot. But it's pure comedy mixed with real, like, you know, horrible, you know, they had all kinds of storylines. Incest and murder and 
jealousy and then you got the priest, priest in the middle of it all. But then on top of it, you always had those comedy Italian police officer guys. Now that's where they were, remember? When they, I Italy. think that's, yeah, whenever that, I think that's where they were at yeah, that time. Yeah, they were. It was in Italy. Yes. Italy-based show. And that's why I felt with the wine and the bread and the fruit and the truck, you know, and then you're like, oh, little slapsticky, almost like Charlie Chaplin moment while that other thing's going on. And yeah, the, I mean, I didn't dislike it. No, I, I no I, saying. I'm saying I really liked it. But if there's one thing, and I think a lot of people might come off this movie and go, I don't get, was it a funny action movie or was it a serious spy movie? Like, it's really... It's like skirting the line. It's like it's almost it almost does. If there was a line, and this movie was traveling down it, it, it does. I'm doing a. a, a I'm, it, there's a line, and it it kind of goes down it, goes down it, and then it kind of almost falls off one side, almost falls off the other side, almost falls off one side, and it's uneven in that way. It just makes it feel uneven. It makes it's not like Mission Impossible. You kind of know what you're getting with that. It's kind of hokey. The one we just watched. They're kind of, they play it almost tongue-in-cheek, the whole thing. There's always going to be, like, somebody's, you know, Simon Pegg's character. You know, it's an action movie with some humour. You know, you just know it's that. This, I didn't understand the tone when I first went into it. I, I was like, is this a very serious movie? Like, you know the opening scene? Um, there's a big action piece at the beginning. It's It slowly descends into it being funny. But at the beginning, it's very serious. The credits with all the actual real footage of like the different yeah. presidents and stuff. I was and like, you're okay. introduced to our, one of our characters as sort of like a soci- sociopathic, violent. It feels event. serious until the car chase starts, and then you're like, oh, okay, it's more Sherlock Holmes than a little bit, but not really. Yeah, but there's elements of Tiny. comedy. That's like. It's like that's like homeopathic. It's like one drop in an ocean of, of the movie, I think. But I think the um you know aside from that the good parts of this movie are and after watching the extras I appreciate it even more like how practical all the effects are. It's not like a CG movie, which a lot of movies are. Yes, there's CG. There's some, yeah. Yeah, but mostly even a even a stunt, the stunt there's a stunt where a car gets stuck in an alley. And that's not really spoiling it because a car gets stuck in an alley and interesting. <laughs> I thought that was CG. I hundred percent thought that was CG. It's not. It's actually a physical thing. Um, there's a bunch of physical things that I was wow, really? They did that? There's you know, like they jump a truck into some water. That is a real truck jumping into some water. I, I was convinced that was a model or something because of the way it kind of did it. Yeah, I was that's like, so wow, too. that doesn't seem right. But it but was full size. Really yeah. Um so there's a lot of that. It's all you know, mostly practical effects, kinda of like Mad Max last year did. And it's, you know, it's not a new story because there's two spies and they're kind of like the two sides of, they're very different from each other. They're going to conflict with each other, but they have to be partners. There's that. And that's what the TV show was based around. So that makes sense anyway. But um, it is a really fun guy. You know, it's Guy Ritchie all over it too, right? You know, when I say to you, oh, you can tell this is a Guy Ritchie movie. Guy Ritchie has a certain stamp about him. If you go back and watch Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, which was his first film, what what his hallmark kind of thing is, it's camera moves that he does. And it's he uses music um, in action sequences. And he does it in this movie really effectively, I thought. He uses, like, he emits sound completely. In this movie, 
there are two action sequences where he the sound effects don't exist. So he drops the sound effects out completely and he just uses the music. Now you might think, well, that makes it less, it probably feels less actiony. It doesn't, it actually feels more actiony. You know the one where he was cutting the screen up into parts, which is a very 60s spy movie thing to do. And they're all going in with yeah. machine guns and everything. There is no gunfire, there is no nothing. It's just the soundtrack. But the whole, there's this whole action sequence going down. And it doesn't submit, it doesn't subtract from it. It just makes it feel cool, I guess. Uh, I thought that part was really boring. I thought it was really cool. I thought it lasted an extra minute or two than it needed to. I liked the bit where, (laughs) and there's a bit where he sits in a truck and eats a meal, he's eating his meal, and there's a whole big thing going on. Yeah. I like that. There's just this music with no sound for what's going on. And there's another, there's another thing where he did it too, where there's something going on in the background and they're playing music. So, that's a thing from Lock, Stock and Smoking Barrels all the way through. It's like a, a trademarky type thing of his. I like it. I like the camera moves. You know when the car chases are going on? How it kind of zooms in and out? There's a really amazing car chase towards the end of the movie with three different vehicles chasing. Yeah, yeah. That one's good. And, and I does, don't like car chases. No, and it does this thing and it's almost like a video game. It reminds me of like Need for Speed or something where they're, they're in different geo graphical locations like from each other these cars so one's like on this side of the island one's on another side and it pulls the camera out from one car into the air like like almost like a a drone it isn't it's like cg i think and then zooms back to another but you know that that car is that you you understand as a viewer okay that car is north of that one and they're heading towards north and south yeah, well, you know, that car is to the left of that one In if you were looking at this as a big map. And it's, you know, it does that a lot in video games, zooms in and out of maps. What reminded me of video games was the point when they were storming in and they're behind a thing and then there's a bunch of bad guys over there running around shooting. I was like, that looks like so many yeah. video games that you've ever played. There's a lot of that. Just cool, stylistic Guy Ritchie shots, I call them, where, he, you know, he does it in Sherlock Holmes, the last Sherlock Holmes, where... They were in the woods, and uh, he was using the Gatling gun, and everything started to slow down, and then the camera started coming out to show you the bullets going past. You know, there was he did it in that too. But um, he's good at that stuff. I can see why some people wouldn't like this movie because it's yeah. not typical. It's it's kind of um, it's kind of more intellectual than some action movies are. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I disagree saying, with that. <laughs> I'm not saying like you have to, um, you know, uh, I'm not saying it's what's a really intellectual movie. This isn't The one. Informant with Matt Damon, <laughs> where it's a very like complex, if you, if you miss it for a second, you won't understand what's going on. Tree of life is intellectual. Well, no, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm talking about an espionage type of thing. Like The Informant with Matt Damon is a, a very good example it's a plot that's going on, and if you miss it for two seconds, you might not. You might misunderstand something down the line. It's not like that, but I just mean it's more. It's an action movie. It just feels like elevated a little bit from some action movies, and I think it might be the European sensibility for me because it feels like a European movie, like a Luc Besson movie, but a bit more. What do you know. mean, like a Guy Ritchie movie? Because Luc Besson movies are kind of dumb. Everybody said, you know, a lot of people say Luc Besson is really. Um, lowest common denominator action movie. He makes very dumb action movies. The Transporter, etc. You know, those type of movies. This is a step up from that. I don't think The Professional is dumb. People 
normal people think Sally. the professionals dumb like he gets that kind of moniker um Luke Besson what like people it, snobs just movie critics it's just <laughs> okay. a he's snobs. really good at making action movies but like forget the plot like he's dug into your emotions is the thing and so yeah. and um Guy Ritchie's thing is he likes to romanticize everything and I don't and mean cool in terms of love are... yeah he likes to make everything the way that you would want it to be so if I'm a 10 year old boy watching Man from Uncle, and then I get to grow up and make a multi-million dollar movie, how would I have wanted that? How would I want it to be if I was really that guy from Uncle? And then you play Rob, Cops and Robbers, and you get to dress it all up, and that's how he, like he even said, we have a vehicle that's not really to the times, and yeah. it's not really accurate, but I don't care, because it's cool, and that's fine, I'm making, a, I'm making a, my own reality here, so. That was his thing. He said he, he's trying to make, a, he, well, he's always trying to make movies that he would like to see. And it's total, fun, you know, getaway, like, this is awesome. I'm watching this cool thing. I think he succeeds most of the time, even with the Sherlock Holmes movies. What are movies he likes to watch? I don't know, actually. I've never really... I was just trying to think. Asked what, him. <laughs> what, would he, what would he like to watch? He probably likes a lot of modern day movies and stuff. Couldn't like... even guess, because how can you guess from what he makes? Yeah. Other he... than if you watched Bourne and was, like, surprised. But as a filmmaker, I think sometimes you'd be He seems to like pretty period-y. jaded. He seems to like more, not not the modern day so much, but some even Lock, Stock and Smoking Barrel, Two Smoking Barrels, when it was made. You can't really tell when that's supposed to be. It's kind of got this odd, like, hyper-reality thing. It's like a, who knows what era that is. <laughs> like, obviously it's not, they know, nobody's using cell phones or anything. Or are they? Can't it's remember. the guy with a big cell phone in the back of the truck. Um, I think it's like the 80s. Yeah, but you can't tell. Like he likes, I feel like he likes a fantasy rather than a reality. Mm-hmm. Which Man from Uncle, you know, you don't know. I mean, yes, it's in the sixties, but and you know, you know, this is a pre-existing thing. But Sherlock Holmes, what he did with Sherlock Holmes, it's not necessarily kind of even that. It's odd. There's an odd thing about it. It doesn't feel hundred percent like an old Sherlock Holmes. There's some modernness to it with the camera techniques and everything. So. I just think that's his thing, isn't it? And I like his thing, and I really like this movie. It, you, I like it. Yeah, it's. Um, I enjoyed it. Here's my word. I've told you every week. I'm gonna pick one word. I'm gonna actually make a list of five words, and I have to attach one of those words to each movie that we watch. And I haven't figured out what the five words are because so far, the only word I've come up with for last weekend this week is fun. It's a fun romp. You know, like, I have a good time, I didn't question anything, I just went along with it, because I'm very visual as well, and I love designy things, and while I'm not, I don't nitpick about it, I just like lines and design and every single shot, like he always is, and just like... Yeah, this is one of those movies. Like Train Spotting Guy, there is a thing about setting up, the way they set up shots, they're framed a certain way, and things are set a certain way, and it's just... It, it like catches my attention and then I'm, I'm zoomed into the, you know. And in this. The intrigue know. I couldn't care any less about really because it isn't a retold story that we've heard a billion oh, times, yeah. but I feel like it's a fun way to get at it, you know? Yeah, it's enough. There's enough um, urgency in what they're trying to do. I don't want to spoil what they're actually trying to do, even though it's pretty cliched and you've seen Save it. Save the world! Let's put that but there's way. <laughs> enough urgency and basis in real world stuff yeah. to make it feel dangerous to me. And, you know, the villain and everything feels dangerous. Um, 
But let's just put these three words out there. It's not, it's not necessarily a spoiler, but I mean, it is, I guess. Spoiler alert. Scientist. Nuclear bombs. Nazis. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're that kind of in the, or Stalin, communism, Russians. slash, it, it, yeah. I mean, we're talking about the Cold War, so it has a theme to draw, I mean, it has to draw on those. But things. the Russians aren't that, guys. So, you know, that's what you gotta remember. We're yeah. trying to bridge a gap here. So um, let's move on to the cast. Henry Cavill plays the, uh, you know, one of the heroes. Superman. Um, solo. Um, yeah, he played, you know, you know him from playing Superman. You don't know him from anything before that, because... That was one of the first things he did, the Man of Steel movie. Uh, so what did you think of him as Solo? Not Han Solo. I think he fits. <laughs> no, he's Napoleon Solo. Yeah, he is. I think he fits, but I'm going to go out on a thing here and say, like Keanu Reeves, this young man has a certain rigidity about him. And while I understand from this character that he's supposed to be, you know, he's supposed to have had a hard time and then he trained himself and... He's been in trouble, and he's quite clever, and he might have secrets we still don't know about, and so that could lead to his sort of being very severe and very upright at all times, you know, perfect posture, perfect everything. The way he delivers his lines and everything, I also give him a pass for for Superman, because Superman is, you know, an alien, he's Clark Kent, he's... They're trying to raise him as a normal person, but, I mean, he's got all this power inside of him, so it probably makes him a little bit more, like... Upright. I don't know how else to put it. And he does it every time, though. He does this, like, he kind of, he's got that muscle, that weightlifter thing about him for sure. You can tell he's a weightlifter, right? Because the shape of his body. He can't help it. And he's got that sort of poofed upness. And then when he delivers lines, often, it's got this sort of, like, I'm being funny, and yet I'm trying to be cool at the same time and it just comes off a little bit like after a while i'm like just loosen up i mean there are parts that are perfect he's perfect perfect yeah it fits kind of his but he needs to i just want him to like shake it loose a little bit i want whoever i want jj abrams to go up to him and say this isn't a george lucas movie (laughs) like he did to ray because i feel like he's charismatic though like i feel it he captures your attention but then once he talks for a a few lines i'm like lighten up like you his jaw needs to drop and he needs to be more suave yeah but napoleon is napoleon solo is very yeah but i don't he's very got a rod up i don't care i don't watch that show so i don't know i'm going by this and i'm saying this actor does it every time right this is my only issue is i need to there needs to be times when his character melts down a bit and we're seeing that it is a facade, that it's not him using this weird acting tool that makes him, you know, he sits in the bed and his, his he did have his shirt off at one point. He said he never did, but he was in the bed sitting with the newspaper his, Yeah, when she was leaving. And, um, but he's like, he, even then he's like, five more minutes. Yeah. And then he smiles with his head all rigid and, and like his you know, body all... Like, like he's getting ready to pose for a weightlifting competition. And I just think, just, ugh, somebody needs to, like, rattle him up a little bit. I liked him as a... As, but I like him. As, yeah, I think... I just want to see him on the downside. They definitely work together. And talking of the second guy, because they are a duo, the Man from Uncle, um, Army Hammer, who we all know from The Social Network, and... That one. The Lone Ranger. <laughs> um, and he plays Ilya, who's the... Iliac. Who's the Russian... Ilya. Who's the Russian um, component of the Man from Uncle. Because that's the... Man from Uncle is 
These two again, it doesn't matter to me. I only know from this movie, and he is the Russian guy that he meets who's also an agent for the KGB. And you know, um, a lot of people don't like Army Hammer, um, especially at the Lone Ranger. They think he did a terrible... I, I actually quite liked the Lone Ranger in a way. I would subtract Johnny Depp if yeah. I had to remove somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Like Army Hammer did all right. I thought Johnny Depp's a pain in the ass in it. He's the boring one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... I liked him in this. I really did. I mean, yes, it's a, a really bogus Russian accent. Yes, and that's the only part about me, his and hers, because yeah. I don't know what she's supposed to be. No. She's supposed to be German, I think. I think German, yes. But she sounds Italian doing. half the time. Yeah, and she I was does like, I can't tell if she is. I could, then I was like, maybe she's a Russian ac- actress, and she's trying to do a German accent. But, <laughs> but they find out she's an American. And I was like, I can't get, I can't. She's a Swedish actress. Okay. I just looked her up. I can't get behind that German no, accent. No, it's though. like it's like they didn't know what to do with her fully or something. I don't know. It, it well, was she's supposed to be German. She's she supposed to be German, but it, to me, she it was sounded, East Germany. She was raised in East Germany. Her father was German. And I thought it Nazis. sounded Russian all the time. Right, but she wasn't Russian. But she's Swedish because so he says the Russians are bad news. But Army Hammer's it's the stereotypical. Oh, if, yeah. if I said to you, make a do a Russian accent, yeah, it's yeah. that Russian accent, and it and it's kind of annoying because I said to you in, during this movie. I like what Guy Ritchie did here because there's lots of subtitles in this movie. When Russian people talk to Russian people, obviously they wouldn't speak English to each other. <laughs> and they don't in this movie, which is great. I was like, wow, yeah, there's a lot of subtitles in parts where they're relevant. And then then often, if a character can speak both Russian and English, and there's English people, he'll speak English. That's ballsy in a, in a Hollywood yeah. movie because we know. People that, and they know. I mean, they don't. But it's peppered in there. It's not exactly yeah. like... Yeah, so I was right. happy with that, um, that they did that. But yeah, there's some shitty accents also. And Ami Hammer, I think he did a good job, though, overall, of betraying the guy. He just did his mouth in that way where you're forced... Like, if I'm talk- if I'm speaking English the way I'm speaking English now, my mouth is just natural because I'm just talking, and someone else tries to speak English, there's a certain thing you do with your mouth that you kind of pierce your lips when you're trying too hard and that's what he did a lot and now other than that I thought he was awesome I think he's really good I mean he never dropped that accent he had a subtle so, like some subtle little ticks and things so yeah. so did um, the other guy yeah Cavell. I um, like him I'd like to see him in more things so the uh, heroine we would say is um, is she called Gabby Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's played by Elisa, Alicia Vikander, who's this um, Swedish actress we just talked about. I really liked her, too. I thought she was, like... At the beginning, I thought, oh, no, like, she's this car mechanic. I thought, oh, no, she's going to be like a Michelle Rodriguez. Like, she's this tough, yeah, yeah. badass thing. Or a Megan Fox. Yeah, I thought she was going <laughs> to be this tough, sexy girl, right? Where it's stupidly over-the-top tough, and that's what she is. She's not necessarily that, Mm-mm. and I preferred what they actually made her to be. Like, Definitely. She's not a damsel in distress, exactly. No. Um, she's, you know, she's integral to the mission that they're doing, but she's not exactly part of the Man From U.N.C.L.E. team. It's it's interesting. She's good. I uh, liked her a lot. Yeah. And she's my favorite thing. In and the she's movie. quite funny. Like, there is a really funny scene in the middle of the film. And it's appropriate because yeah. you realize... It doesn't feel stupid. <laughs> it's just funny. And then later, the things you learn. 
make yeah. even more sense because she's got nothing. She's got no reason to uh, really be afraid or. And that is one of the moments in this movie where I was like, okay, they're not being funny just to be funny. That is a funny character development moment because you don't really know tons about her, and then you're like, okay, I get. She's a girl. She's a young lady. Yeah. She's not a girl, but she's not like these two guys, like with poles stuck up their asses, like <laughs> you know. Um, Next up, Hugh Grant plays Waverly, and if you watch the original series, you'll know who Waverly is. And I don't. He's the head of Uncle, and I love Hugh Grant, and this cemented it for me. I know this, he doesn't do a ton in this, but we watched Love Actually recently, and I really, I think Hugh Grant is awesome in Love Actually as the Prime Minister, and he does lend himself to these kind of authoritative roles. Now he does. Yeah. There's something about him. I just really like him. Like, I like how he I nails I guess he his... was the boss in Bridget Jones, too, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah. I like how he... I don't know. He's, he's got a charisma to him. There's something about Hugh Grant that's charismatic. I guess you'd have to ask a woman, because I don't find him that charismatic. Do you like him? Like He's fine. Do you like him in I'm very Love Actually? He's fine. I think he's, he's suitable for that character funny. very specifically. Yeah. What about this, though? Yeah, he's fine. He's cool. He's just... He barely did anything. Yeah, had, like, like I'm scenes. saying, yeah. he, he didn't do a ton, but I could imagine if there was a sequel to this movie, he would be more involved in that way. But in this movie, he's really... Oh, it's a failure, though. They're not going to do a sequel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Jared Harris appears here as Sanders. Uh, you know him from Mad Men. You know that he's uh, Richard Harris's son. Oh, yeah. I like he's him. He's awesome. I, I love him. But yeah, he didn't get a huge job to do in here. And then finally, I wanted to mention, and I didn't write it down, so I just have to turn around, so excuse me. It's um, Victoria, who's played by Elizabeth Debicki. She's so good. Yeah, and she is a female villain, let's say. And she is... She's scary. <laughs> I find her scary because she's unpredictable in this movie. Absolutely. Like, it's, it's, she's like a Bond villain. But I had no a, idea where she was going with stuff. She's aloof a bit. Yeah. But you're not 100% sure, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, I, liked I, her. I have to give her some props. because, uh, And I thought it was cool to have a female villain also. Because you don't often get a female villain. She's usually a dude. Not who isn't like a caricature or easily swayed or falls in love with your hero or yeah. some bullshit like that. Yeah. Like Bond but I thought she would have a female, exactly, but not a villain. You could see her whole of her character. Um. So this is, as we said earlier, directed by Guy Ritchie, who you will know from Lock, Stock and Smoking Barrel, Snatch, the Sherlock Holmes movies, and Rock and Roller, which was his last movie. I have, I... I have a prediction that a lot of people will only know uh, Sherlock Holmes movies. Yeah, probably. Rock and but Roller they'll be like, what are you talking about well. Lock and Stock and Snatch? What the hell is that, a porno? <laughs> and it, yeah. You do know that we call... And he knows that. It was okay. a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying, though, I'm not sure if you're aware that in America, no, that might of, not be that popular no, of a movie. No, it was always a joke. Like, it was like, this is this is a, a kind of a heist movie about snatching something, but Snatch is a funny... Um, but uh, but they're very British. You might have seen Snatch. Rock and Rolla, Snatch. Yeah, Brad Stock Pitt Stock is in Snatch. They're all very British, though. So yeah. I don't know that people, if they're not a movie person person, you know what I'm saying? If you want to see Brad Pitt play a pikey, which they call him pikey, like he's a gypsy, like a really hardcore gypsy. Not sure if that's appropriate anymore, but I don't know what to say. Well, they even Aroma. call him the pikey in the, in the movie. Right, what, but that's thing. because they're using horrible stereotypes. Yeah, but that, that's what he is. He's this horrible stereotype of a gypsy guy, right? And uh, you can barely understand what he says because he like studied how they talk. And 
He's hilarious. Paddlewinkle Blue. That's the only thing I remember yeah, him saying. Yeah, he's, 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 he's only in like a couple of scenes, but he's sat in like a caravan and they come and see him and he's like... Just... Yeah, his role is about equal to Floyd from True Romance. Yeah. And yet... Yeah. You want to know that Brad Pitt... But Guy Ritchie's had a long history of making movies. He's made... He made Swept Away with his with his ex-wife Madonna, which has gone down to be as known as one of the worst movies ever. <laughs> I haven't seen it, actually. I should, just to complete my Guy Ritchie... Um, I've seen everything else. And to else. make up your own mind and not listen to what other people well, say. Well, I don't, I don't agree that it's the worst movie. In fact, I, you know, Gigli is a good example of this. Um, it was... You remember that mm-hmm. movie came out and everybody was like, this is the worst movie ever. We saw it. I was like... Well, it's fine. It's just average. Like. It's below average, but it's yeah. not the worst movie ever. I mean, it was just whatever. It was of its time, and it was a movie like other movies that have been out. That's everybody We've picked seen on worst that. movies in the last few months. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, so Guy Ritchie, I really like Guy Ritchie's style. I like that he doesn't do this. You know, you could say, oh well, Snatch, Lock, Stock, Rock and Roller. They're kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes is a departure. It's more of a Hollywoody type. It's deal. never that far of a departure, though. He yeah, still does all of his super stylized, indulgent, like, coolness. It's very stamped on every single movie. The story is a different... He has a style. But it's very all the same. And I like his style. And I Lockstock, I fell in love with it. They, this they, one uh, felt like he was taming it down a bit. Yeah, it was more polished, kind of. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as rough. Actually, I think it's less polished. Well, it's less done up. You know what I mean? But he still does all of the things that he does in this movie. But not, like... Not all sharp and pointed like like split screeny stuff. The music, he's, the music, as a you know telling the story kind of thing. The the actual style of the music in this movie, if you go back and listen to Lockstock's soundtrack, it's the same type of solely kind of movie, music. Um, this is full of. I love the soundtrack in this movie, by the way, Man from Uncle. It's all like old sixties tracks, Motowny solely kind of tracks. Some of them are instrumental, some of them are singing. I just thought it matched. Reminds you of Quentin Tarantino movies, doesn't it? Well, it just... No, I didn't, no it really gives you that spy feel of the 60s. Like, um, there was a, a video game called No One Lives Forever. Like, uh, do you remember with that girl? And she was dressed in like a 60s kind of... Um, she was a shooter. She, was, she had red hair and she was dressed in a 60s kind of leotard. She was like a Bond girl type of thing. That had this vibe. You know, the 60s spy Cold War... You know, not Austin Powers, but the more serious kind of feel to it. So I love Guy Ritchie's um, directing style. I want to see what he does next. You know, I always do. And uh, this was a surprise to me because I had no idea he was doing this. And obviously it's something he has loved from being a kid. So um, so extras on the Blu-ray, how did you like them? They were good. I like the particular... I'll tell about the one. I don't know what it's called, or at least if it's got a name of its own. It's but called- find out that... They have a training, a director in training on the set, which is just a person, like an intern, I'm assuming, who's learning to be a film director. Guy Ritchie and Hugh Grant. They have a photograph from, I would assume it looked like about the 40s, Yeah. of this young man's grandfather, Hugh Grant's father, and Guy Ritchie's father, that they were all in the service together, tail end of the war. And they have a photograph, like, a very posed in their uniforms and something else. And so between the three of them and another guy, they reenact that photograph and take it again. And I just thought that was it's really... I can tell that Guy Ritchie's a very sentimental person, yeah. even though he puts a rough edge on everything. That is very, um... That's very, uh... 
like a human of a person that you like keep it an arm's length and you're like, wow, if everybody could do that, that'd be cool. Like if I could reenact photographs of, you know, my great, great grandmother, I guess I could, but I don't have a movie studio. But it's just cool that there's that connection even. Yeah. And, like Hugh Grant is in this movie and Guy Ritchie. Obviously. I mean, they're both British people. Yeah. So stretch that their fathers knew each this other. And this dude is like an assistant director, which is. Well, his, fr- his father's friends with them. Yeah. And then their fathers all knew each other, so. So, yeah, and then he was saying, this is really special If you're a me. kid who wants to be a movie director and you find out your dad or your grandpa was friends yeah. with <laughs> uh, Guy Ritchie's dad, yeah. uh, you might be like, hey, grandpa or dad. So, yeah, there are a bunch of extras. There's the guys from Uncle. It's a making of kind of uh, following them around. Um, shows you how some of the stunts are done. Shows you, like, how they got the vehicles together and all the different... There's a stunt at the beginning with the cars. These really crappy old cars, like it's a car chase in crappy cars, and it's the one where they get st- where it gets stuck in an alley. It shows you how they did that, which is really cool. People sat on top. We've seen it before. Mm-hmm. People sat on top of cars, driving cars, while the actors are in the cars. Um, there's Spy Vision recre- recreating the '60s cool. It's really mostly about the outfits and the set decorating to make it look like the '60s. The outfits are awesome, by the way, in this movie. There's not one time where somebody's hair's out of place or they look bad. <laughs> Everybody looks awesome all the time. Suits, dresses. It's just slick, isn't it? Um, and then there's a bunch of like small... They're so short. It's five minutes in yeah. total. They're just like... I, th- I feel like they were things that were on the website, like in promotion of the film. But each one covers a little thing. They're so short and brief. I just wanted a bit more. But that's it for the extras, and there is a DVD and a digital copy. So, Man from Uncle, Blu-ray. What did you think, Sid Talk? Fine. Good. Fun. Final thoughts. Fun. I did. High quality, well made, and, you know, not your average. We just watched Mission Impossible a couple of weeks ago. It's very different from that, but the same kind of same kind of thing. Also, the same TV shows that kind of existed at the same time. So, why do we just keep dredging the same thing up over and over again? <laughs> Can we make some? Because even things? if you make a new story <laughs> and you make it so that there's some sort of covert agents working for an agency that's trying to save the world, no matter what you do, it's still going to look like every other story we've ever told about covert agents trying to save yeah. the world from a bad guy. Yeah. And the bad guy always either wants to destroy the world or destroy the system that the world is functioning under so that they can either have chaos or they can be in power. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of other stories. There's no. like, let's shrink everybody down and control them. That's inner space. Let's blow everybody up and just have, like, chaos. That's from Die Hard 4, 3, whatever one it was, of 4. Die Hard Another Day. 3. No, the one where it was Elephant. Oliphant, yeah. yeah, where it's like, we're yeah. just going to destroy Hack the system, everything. and that for that way there's chaos, and that's the way the world should be. I mean, that's really all there is, is either destroy everything, control everything, or that's it. I mean, and, the bad guy always wants those things. The bad guy never wants to just, like, come in, cause a little trouble, and then go off to a secret island somewhere and never bother anybody again. So that would be the story that would be new and interesting. Yeah, and... I'm not saying that this movie is real generic and boring because it's not. No. Guy Ritchie brings enough to this movie to make a story that you. you and I never, I'm no, no history with this television. No, show and I don't so. think you need any. 
it, it works as a film on uh, its you own. You can ask me and I'll tell you. No, you don't. Yeah, as I was <laughs> as I was watching it, thinking, well, what I know of The Man From U.N.C.L.E. And it's been I mean, a long yes, time. there's going to be loads of in-jokes and in-things that there I don't are. know about. The room that numbers if you've watched, were, were one very specific. If you've watched every single episode, then you will know maybe that thing sitting in the truck eating the grapes and the wine or asking her if she wants a grape or the five minutes, give me five minutes. That's probably all those things. The that room stood numbers out. are one very specifically. You notice those, right? Seven oh seven and eight oh eight oh seven. No. Well, they had, Why would I notice those? I, it just kept showing you them, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, there's those room numbers." What room numbers for what? When they're in the hotel. I know, but for what are you talking about? What are they referring to? They're referring to the room numbers they always had in the hotels in the show. They always had that room number. That's weird. One had one number. One had the other number. That's how you could kind of tell when the. Camera looked at the door. Who was going to be in that room? In every hotel in the world. Yes. It was just a... <laughs> Whatever hotel didn't have seven floors. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's one of those in-joke typey things. Okay. You know, so yeah, they did not They did do that. Uh, other things. See, I've watched Man From U.N.C.L.E. I know a bit about Man From U.N.C.L.E. And the only thing I recognize, which was a thing from Man From U.N.C.L.E., one thing apart from those room numbers, is you know that telephone... Two things. You know the telephone she picks up with the rotary on the bottom of it? That was a prominent thing in The Man From U.N.C.L.E. Because it was mm-hmm. like a cool thing. In yeah, that, that was in loads of TV yeah. shows at the time. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't notice anything. And I watched it. So I don't even know if he was trying to do that. You know? Very specifically mm-hmm. calling on everything. Because some movies overdo that, don't they? You're like, oh. Nah. So um, thank you to Warner Brothers for the Blu-ray. We both recommend it. It's a fun, yeah, it's fun. interesting movie to watch. Um, next week's Blu-ray review will also be from our friends at Warner Brothers, and it's The Intern starring Anne Hathaway and Mr. Robert De Niro. So we're going to be watching that next week. Movie recommendations. I am going based on The Man From U.N.C.L.E. and Mr. Guy Ritchie. So I'll recommend Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, which I know for a fact a lot of American viewers will not have seen. It was a huge, huge, huge success in the UK. Um, it's what made him, basically, who he is. Here, I don't think so much, but uh, it was huge in England. Like it, it even, it was that huge in England. It showed in the theaters, and then a few months later, they brought it back to theaters because people wanted to see it again. So that's how big it was there. It's a cool gangster movie. It's very of its time, so it might have like dated quite a bit. But uh, yeah, and my second one, and when I was watching this movie, Man from Uncle. I was thinking of this other movie that we reviewed in the year 2000 and 10. <laughs> in the year 2010. And uh, I couldn't think of the name of the movie and it kept reminding me of this movie. I was like, there was this cool movie we watched. It was like an espionage thing. There was these cool characters. I have no idea what it was called. And I think a lot of people don't know what it's called or never saw it. And the movie's called The Losers. And it stars Mr. Chris Evans, who went on to do Captain America. Idris Elba is in it. Um, Also Zoe Saldana. And the guy from Watchmen, who I always forget his name. The main guy from Watchmen, who's actually going to be Negan in the new Walking Dead series. Um, So yeah, it was a bunch of, you know, big name actors playing this. It was a graphic novel called The Losers. I recommend it. What 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 I recommend it for, and why it's similar to this movie, is it skirts this line of serious and funny. And it's also very stylized, like super stylized. It's almost like you're watching the graphic novel come to life. 
So See, like some movies pull it off, and then like Charlie's Angels it doesn't really work for me. No. The the combination of the kind of wacky comedy with the big action. Now at the time it might seem like whoa, you're a little overwhelmed by it all, but it doesn't work. Like it doesn't stick to your ribs much unless it balances out just right. It can come across like Charlie's Angels is a good example. At the time, it worked quite well, I thought. But if you go back and watch it now, it almost comes across like an Austin Powers movie, like yeah, farcical. Exactly, farcical. Yeah. So why? Even not though it's trying farce? to be cool, but even the cool bits seem like silly. Like it's like it doesn't ride the line properly. So try to be one or the other, I guess. So what are your movie recommendations? Mine are, and as I, I'll remind you that uh, I'm doing this thing where I am. Oop, that's the wrong one. Um, crap. Hold on. Keep talking. This is... <laughs> this is not great. <laughs> well, I forget now. I'm doing my movie list from IMDb. So you're not writing it on the outline, what we have, and you're just no. going to, like... Where'd it go? I don't know. Um, sorry about these technical issues. It's not Tid a technical talks, issue. Talk's new thing that she does is obviously <laughs> not working. I think I remember. Oh, here they are. I, I did type them in here. Yes. Okay. okay. I'm going in alphabetical order. And the top of my... I'm going through all the almost 3,000 movies that I've seen. I won't get through them all in the year, but over time. So three a week. So in alphabetical order. Last week I did the top three. Just, and the, it's the numbers. The rules have changed there, haven't they? It no. used to be like uh, recommended movies two a week. Now you've got three a week. I never made a rule of two a week. We did. We always... I never made that rule. I never even stick to that rule hardly. That's that's flexible. You and your fucking rules. I'm going to say that the next three on my list, because they all start with numbers. They all float to the top when you sort them out. $5 a day. Because that was really fun. Remember that one? Yes. It was Davy Jones. It and... had... Um, it had... Uh, and Old Dick. <laughs> that guy. No. It wasn't? No, it was Christopher Walken. Oh, it was Christopher Walken. Oh, my God. I think it makes it even better. Yeah. I was trying to do a Christopher Walken. It was the young person. Part. The son. Yeah. It was really good. It was a father-son kind of, Travel, you know. A uh, road trip. Road trip. And he, the father's really frugal and tries to do everything with coupons and free things. Like showing up at a seminar where they're giving away food, food and pretending you're like an insurance agent. Just to get some free Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the son, you know, like a tormented kind of relationship. Really good. That's one of those small-ish, amazing experience movies. Wasn't that- the son the guy from Office Space? The main guy from Office Space. Well, thanks so. You carry on now. Um, my other one is 2012. Now, I realize a lot of people will say, why would you recommend 2012? I actually don't dislike it as much oh, as I did in the beginning. That movie is horrible. It, it is not horrible. And it also happens to be at the top of the alphabetical list because it's a number. 2012. So, you know, that's John Cusack, end of the world kind of thing. And then, one, two, three, freeze, or un, deux, trois, soleil. Which is a French movie. Really good. We watched it a long time ago. Like, it was many, many years ago. It's really good. It's like one of those gutsy, kind of small, tormented, kind of like um, fish tank or, you know, one of those kind of like rough and tumble teenagers in the city and kind of broken. Was it the 80s? Maybe the 90s it was set in. It's French. She also has, you know... There's the father who's I don't know if I remember it, but yeah, I do know. We, we I remember were. going to meet his mother. I don't remember what it was exactly, but... <laughs> you recommend <laughs> it, it really, now. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember what it in is. In order of alphabet. So, $5 a day, 2012, and un, deux, trois, soleil.
We're okay. And um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's our recommendations for this week. Uh, games and a scully stuff. I've been playing a couple of games this week. Number one is uh, Amplitude, which is on the PS4. If you remember, if you're a video gamer, back in the PS2 era, Harmonix, who went on to create Rock Band, um, they made some rhythm games. There was two of them. One was called Amplitude. Um, and I forget what the other one was called. There was two. And I owned both of them. And what they are, basically, are is before Guitar Hero even existed, they are Guitar Hero, but you use a controller and not a guitar. So you're going along a line and you're pressing the button when the notes appear. It's pretty much Guitar Hero. It's just before they invented it, because they did go on to... Well, harmonics were crucial in making Guitar Hero and then moving on to Rock Band. So it's Guitar Hero without the guitar, um, and it's a new, brand new version of it for the PS4. And they did a Kickstarter to see if anybody was interested in it, and it took off, and they finally released it this week. Um, I really like it because I really liked the original one. It's a rhythm game. I'm kind of partial towards rhythm games. I do like anything with music uh, involved. Um, But I do have a problem with this game. A big, 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 big problem, which might put you off completely buying this one. And what it is, is it has no licensed music at all. They've created a soundtrack for it. Um, Yes, there are some bands. I'll say bands. There's a band called Freeze Pop who are like an indie band, I would say. Most people don't know who they are, and they play this kind of like hipstery kind of synth pop type stuff. And most of the tracks in this, well, almost all of the tracks in this game are music you've never heard of. Now, it's cool once or twice listening to it and thinking, oh, this is a cool kind of track. There's like a jazz track and there's a like a drum and bass track, but they're not particularly good tracks. And I played it for several hours and there was no, when I looked at the list, I was like, oh, which song do I want to play? There was no song where it stood out where I was like, oh, I'd like to go and play that one again. Mm. It just all felt very generic. Like, here's the jazz one. Here's the drum and bass one. Here's the house one. Now, what they did with the old games, Amplitude, uh, on Frequency and Amplitude, that's what they were both called, on the PS2, those all had proper bands in them. There was David Bowie. There was all kinds of stuff in those. And it made them replayable because you liked the songs and you wanted to play them. So there's a big problem in this game. It could probably be fixed if they do a DLC and they like bring licensed bands into it, like they do with Rock Band. Or how about you can import your Rock Band or your Guitar Hero tracks into Amplitude? That'd be a cool idea, because you probably already own some tracks on your hard drive from something. Uh, but as far as it stands with the unknown music, and there are 30 tracks, and you won't have heard of any of them, none of them are familiar to anybody, because they're all new. It kind of sucks some of the fun out of it. Do you oh. understand what I mean? Like, uh, it, yep. Like if it was full of music that you knew, it would be cool. Or how about let you, let us import our own music in, and it makes a track based on the music that you've done, which you've done before in music games. Then I want to play it, because like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll play along to Oasis or whoever I want to play along to. But when it's just some bunch of random music, it might as well just be anything. It might as well just be like that game I was playing earlier, Punch Club. It has like... But then... I don't know, though. I guess playing the game is different. But me, like, I've always thought I only liked certain kinds of music. And now when I listen to Sirius Channel, Sirius XM, to get my money's worth, 
try to try different ones. I started listening to The Chill, which is music I would never, ever listen to, ever. It's like a side shoot of your electronic dance music, yeah, right? It's, so like like, it's ambient electronic music. And I just can't get enough of it. And it's different all the time. They'll play, they'll, they're like any radio thing. They'll play the same ones. But then all of a sudden, on you know certain parts of the week, they play all new stuff. Stuff I've never heard. And I don't go, oh, don't know this. I'm like, oh. But if I listen enough, then I can still, then I can sort out the ones I don't like and I do like. But a game, I guess, if you're, if you don't like it immediately, you're kind of stuck with it. Yeah, and also, in this game, you have to play it, right? So you've got to play through the 30 tracks to get all the things unlocked. So, if you don't like jazz, tough shit. You're playing five <laughs> jazz songs. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, and, and you're like, oh, God, not another jazz song. Oh, oh, here's another drum and bass song. I quite like drum and bass, but some of the drum and bass in this is just ordinary. It's not very interesting. It's just, you know, just... Uh, so, it really, really scars the game. And I, unfortunately, me is a really big fan of it. I was hoping it was going to be awesome, but it's kind of forgettable and that's because of the soundtrack the game itself is awesome it plays really well it's fun to play it's just the music lost me a bit so the other game i've been playing on steam is called punch club and it is a this one's a really hard one to explain and why it's so fun it's a would you say it's 16 bit or 8 bit uh, <laughs> it looks like something from like it's not 8 bit it's like the 90s isn't it like yeah sonic the hedgehog that kind of thing all right so let's say uh 16 bit game from the 90s like what would be on the sega genesis maybe even better than that because it's in high definition it's just got that style of graphics so what it is is it's a boxing management game so you create a boxer you start off you're living in like scumsville you're sleeping on your couch you've got no money you you've been told you're probably going to be a good boxer you got to start training you gotta it's like lemonade stand a little bit. You gotta like you like that kind of game. Yep. It's like you got a little bit of money. Do you go and spend it in the gym? But oh, oh hold on a second, my guy needs to eat today, or he needs to get on the bus to go to his job. You might you're managing this guy's life, basically. Uh, through statistics. And you're actually going to the gym, training him to be a boxer, you're actually going to a job to get money to pay for the gym, pay for the food like a life simulation. Um, and eventually you're going to become the heavyweight champion of the world, I guess. But at the moment, my character, really early on in the game, he's sleeping on his couch. I can barely get $12 together to buy a pizza so he can have enough food to go and train the next day. There's only shitty food that I can eat. I haven't unlocked the proper food that would make him really good, you know, the protein shakes and stuff. There's all kinds of things that come into the game, like... I'm in the protein shake shop and some guy comes up and says, I can sell you some real protein shakes, if you know what I mean. The, the kind that are behind the counter. You've got to make decisions in, you know, whether you're going to use the steroids or not. Uh, there'll be side effects, but you'll be better. It's, so it's kind of cool. It just starts unraveling as you're going on. And it's kind of silly. There's a lot of references in the game to other things. Jay and Silent Bob stood outside the convenience store, actually. Um, you go in the sewer to fight an alligator. You do. Who wants pizza? He wants a pizza. There's um, your van in your garage looks very much like the A Team's van. Um, there's things like that in this. Obviously, the people who made it are fans of all things 80s and 90s. So it's called Punch Club, and uh, it's on Steam. It's very cheap and it's very fun. Uh, I recommend it. 
So, Sid Talk, what is for dinner? Tonight I got some new, they're Boca brand sweet potato patties. Oh, those sound good. Sounds good. Mm. But Boca's never been high on my list of deliciousness. So, we're going to try them. No, I've, I've, yeah, they're not the best. Morningstar are the best. Morningstar and um, Soul. Those are really good. I think Morningstar are Dr. the best. Dr. Pringer is very good. We don't eat meat, and therefore we do eat. And people say, oh, well, I guess if you want to eat a, something that looks like a hamburger, you still want to eat meat. Yeah, well, no, not exactly. And my example is, what if I want to make a cool Halloween cake, and I make a bunch of fake fingers to put on the top because it's kind of cool? Would you rather me just cut off people's real fingers yeah, and exactly. put them on there? No, fuck off. <laughs> if I want to eat a patty-shaped piece of food that is delicious and satisfying and hearty and savory, then yes, a hamburger is a template for that. However, there's lots of other patties. Tuna patties, turkey patties, vegetable patties, potato patties, like all kinds. You can make them out of anything, tofu, whatever. So, we're having that with some other vegetables and the leftover gluten-free pasta from last night, which is amazing. Seriously, that is the best one now. I kind of agree with Mr. Wonderful. We watched Shark Tank. I have to admit. And he says everything that tastes, that's gluten-free tastes like crap. That isn't true 100%. Breads and rolls, I have not found one no, single one. those taste funny. Well, it's not that they taste funny to me. I've just never had one that's satisfying. It tastes like something's lacking. Texture, yeah. yeah, the texture is not right. And I've had gluten-free cake, and it was fine. It's like, it's like, it, yes, it's bread, but it's it's crappy bread. It's like, <laughs> you know, like the part of bread that you love, that bit's missing. Exactly. Yeah. And unless you want to stuff it full of extra fat and extra sugar. Or eggs or whatever it is in bread. Which I don't have a problem with, really. But, but in terms of gluten-free pasta, the cheap barilla... The one that I make all the time, I make it, I cook it exactly right, but underneath. I'm not so saying Barilla is a cheapo make because they're actually a good quality brand. It's the brand, cheapest right? one yeah. of the gluten free, and it's the cheap, like it's a cheap brand in the store. It's not one of the fancy brands, right? It's like comparable to American Beauty or whatever it's called. Kroger. No, no, no. That's even that's the that's the store brand, but um. It's amazing. And I put mushrooms in there and then all my savory stuff, rosemary, thyme, sage, some nutritional yeast, no oil except whatever's in the um, vegetable bouillon, you know, like a instead of a chicken broth bouillon to put in a vegetable and it's got some oil in it, but it's like that much. Delicious. And then whatever vegetable I decide to pull out of the freezer. Sounds yummy. Does sound yummy. And my advice is... Okay. You know, people have a tendency... At their work, to be miserable. (laughs) Let's be honest. But the thing is, even if your job is super stressful, I mean, I can't account for jobs like an emergency worker or an ER doctor or a soldier or even a teacher or a nurse, somebody like that, where the job, you know, you've got lives and minds and immediacy at your fingertips. That I can't account for. I'm talking about people who sit on their ass all day at a computer programming or answering phones or doing other computery stuff, typing up reports, working on budgets, um, doing teleconferences with upper big wigs, whatever. And then you have to go over here and get your group to do this thing and that thing and who's up to date on their projects and all this other shit. Let's be honest. That's not earth shattering stuff. It can be boring and it can be stressful. If you're the type of person who lets authority get to you, it's probably very stressful. If you're the type of person who thinks of themselves 
as a perfectionist, which I'm going to tell you now, you're full of shit. Uh, real perfectionists don't consider it, but whatever. Then the stress is even higher. All I'm going to say is this time is all leads to this. All day long, we all pretty much have a beverage at our hand, at our side, if we're sitting at a desk doing a job, right? Even you and I at our desk at home sit with a beverage. Every time you pick up that beverage, if it's your bottle of water or your protein drink or your cup of coffee, your 10th cup of coffee, every time you take a drink, make the effort to think of something funny. I mean anything that you think is funny. Some dumb joke that a kid told, tell yourself a dumb joke. Think of a dumb joke. Think of something fun or wonderful you did with your friend. What about a clever joke that's funny? They're not as they're, they're not as quick. The time right. it takes you to take a drink and put it back down is pretty quick. So you need to think of like you know, what the toilet paper say to the doorknob. What kind did of he thing. say? I don't know. I made that up. See, that's funny because I don't even know. What the... <laughs> ah, ah, he said ah, ah. the toilet paper. I'm trying to think what he would say. <laughs> what would the toilet paper say? No, you can't fixate because once you put it down, you're done. He you said, "Do you want me to wipe that shit off you?" <laughs> See, now I've had my drink. And I can get on with my day, even with a smile on my face. Now, if you're easily distracted to where you would sit there then for a half an hour thinking of jokes, don't don't institute this. But <laughs> if you reach for that cup or that whatever vessel and you start to reach up, just think, knock, knock, who's there? I don't know. I don't know who. And you're going to be laughing or smiling by the time it hits your lips. And then you're going to smile as you put your fingers back on the stupid keyboard and... In your little deluded world that you have it so rough and if, so hard. If, if you really want to laugh and smile, uh, always, after, whenever you take a drink, always think of this one. <laughs> it's um, David Mitchell from from Peep Show. Go on YouTube and look for his chicken No, fa- we don't want them going to YouTube. <laughs> no, I'm saying go and watch it. One the time. Chicken Farmer. Okay, one time. Sketch. Okay. David Mitchell, Chicken Farmer. Watch that sketch. It's very short. It's about don't do it at work. It's about fifteen seconds long, <laughs> and then just replay that in your brain because it's always <laughs> funny. Always funny to me. Like I, I'm thinking of his face now, and it's funny. <laughs> like it's just. Funny. Well, tell him what it is. No, you just go and watch it. <laughs> David Mitchell, Chicken Farmer. David Mitchell, Chicken Farmer. Yeah. And then as soon as you think of that, you'll think it's funny. You might not think it's funny though. Not no, everybody has the same sense of it's humor. Very as funny. Yeah. Yeah. But that's my advice. You're good if you want a catalyst for. Breaking up your... Now, here's the thing. A lot of people have some shitty excuses about how they just want to be miserable all day because that's what you do when you go to work. You're just miserable no matter what, and that's just the way it is, and it's another day, another dollar, and blah, blah, blah. Fine. I don't care what you do. You're just going to be miserable no matter what. But if you break up your day with about how many takes of drinks do you think there are in a cup of coffee? A lot. You probably... If you think of amusing yourself in those... One, two, three, four, five, I don't know, ten seconds at a time. And then you get on with your work. You might find you drink more water. <laughs> because you feel like, ooh, I gotta keep thinking of funny things, so I go get me another bottle of water. I'm just thinking of ways, because I get so tired of people being miserable. I've got a very handful of people at work who I can do that jokey thing with, and I'm not a jokey person. Remember, I don't have a sense of humor. No. But <laughs> I have a few people that as I walk past 
will make a joke or make a comment, you know. And this one guy always tells me I look tired because one time he told me I look tired. And I said, thanks, Mom. That's like my mother's <laughs> favorite thing to say to all four of her children. Well, honey, you look tired. Think, Are you okay? I, don't, I think every mom says that. And the, but he said it randomly to me one day as I was walking toward. Now, I happened to be very no, tired that day. Tired. <laughs> I, was, I had no makeup on. And I was just like, you know, and my... White eyelashes, white eyebrows, white hair, pale skin. I no, don't, you haven't got white. They're pretty. Can you see them if I don't have makeup on? Blonde. Yeah, but can you see my You cannot see my eyelashes if I don't have makeup on. So they're like, they're non-existent, invisible. But you sound, you're but making yourself sound like you were. I'm not albino. <laughs> but I'm just saying that if you can imagine a person whose eyes, eyelashes and eyebrows are completely blend into their face, that's me. You That's can see your eyebrows. They, you look at them all the time. They're a lot you darker than you What think. are you arguing with the fact that I have blonde eyebrows? How can you argue with that? They're darker than you are. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to break this up here. Thanks. I want to remind you about our website. Yeah, because everything you say is so important. It is. Ugh, you're going to say the same shit you say every week. So here we go, everybody. Get ready. Here it comes. Maybe they've never listened to it. Well, if they listen to more than one of these, they're going to hear the same shit at the end. So, da-da-da-da. And then I'm going to say the same thing I say every week. So, let me remind you about our website, sayschoolie.com and sitsout.com. You can catch this podcast on Stitcher, search for After the Show, iTunes Music Store, or go to Xbox, uh, whatever Xbox is, and the RSS feed, aschoolie.com slash podcast. You can subscribe there. You can also catch us on Twitter and Facebook. I'm at Ascully, and she is at SidTalk. And email. If you, follow, if you follow me on Twitter, email. you're going to find that I rarely post she just my own videos. I don't recommend. As soon as I like it, I've got it tied to my Twitter account. So if I like a periodic video, periodic table video, which is a sciencey thing, or a, vi- a, vid- a video, music video, or it could be uh, one week when I'm trying to teach myself how to use Excel or InfoPath or some other Microsoft product or how to write PHP. It's kind of variety. Or I'm going to post something from Bob's Burgers. I think I'm probably a terrible YouTube uh, watcher because I watch YouTube a lot, but I never do thumbs up or down. I never even think That's of it. That's not terrible. You should do what you want. I mean, I've never vote. I never like somebody. I don't or, like them all. No. I only like the ones um, because I figure if I want to watch it again and I don't necessarily need to like it, like an Excel video. But then I think, you know, that person's put a lot of effort into it. Might as well. But I don't like them all either. I always just forget. That is, unless, and even when somebody says it in the video, if they say it in the video, I don't want to do it. Like, favorite and subscribe and all that. It depends on the person. I don't want to like and favorite. Hey guys, don't forget to like, subscribe, and what is it? Like, favorite, and subscribe. Like, favorite, and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Hey guys. But see, they're saying the same shit you say, only it's different shit. Alright, so hey guys, don't forget to like, favorite, and subscribe. Our podcast. Um, you can email feedback to me at aschoolie.com. Don't email SidTalk. And I want to say, stay classy, Mr. Guy Ritchie. Uh, this was quite a classy film, to be honest. I'm going to say, same as I say every single week, like a boring mo-show, mofo. Think for yourself, or you're going to have somebody doing it for you. <laughs>